welcome back to this week's Let's Talk Aging. My name is Molly Wisniewski of The Upside to Aging, and today I'm here speaking with husband, father, author, and advocate living with Lewy body dementia, Mike Belleville. Mike, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Molly. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled and honored to be here. Um, I'm really looking, been looking forward all week to this conversation. Oh, well, thank you. That makes two of us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think um, your story, which I've heard a little bit about, um, is so inspiring. And it's a, it's a dialogue that's not out there. And it really needs to be out there because I think a lot of people are starting to find themselves in this position. And as we get older, um, as a society, we're all aging and we're living longer. And while it's not necessarily a normal part of aging, it is affecting a lot more people. Um, so I really do appreciate you sharing your experience with us. And with that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I've been happily married now for 37 and a half years, or maybe a little more than that, I'm not quite sure, but we're next year we'll be coming up on our 38th anniversary uh, to my beautiful wife, Cheryl. We have three uh, great children um, and five grandchildren, uh, four living, well, one has passed, but we are, he's still part of the family. And um, for my career, I was a uh, telecommunications technician I worked for Verizon for nearly 20 years. I was also a member of the uh, Rhode Island Air National Guard for 12 years. Um, I was someone who was very active in my community. I was on the school committee, uh, town's capital improvement committee, um, part of the town's democratic committee. Um, I was very active, very engaged and involved. And, um, in my early, late 40s, I should say, um, we started to notice changes. Things were changing, uh, I guess you could say. And it, it really started, believe it or not, with uh, personality changing more than anything else. Um, at least at home, that's what we saw. Um, but at work is where it really started to show. Um, like I said, I was in telecommunications I was at Inside Tech, um, you know, I'd sit in front of a computer with two screens going and, you know, you could, you had to go from one to the other and multiple things going on each one. And um, it was very, could be a very intensive job at times, uh, very critical. Uh, there was no room for error. Um, you know, NASDAQ gets upset when you take down their network. <laughs> you know, and justifiably so. <laughs> so you had to really, really make sure you were on top of your game as to what you were doing. And um, what we, what was happening is we saw um, my job performance was starting to decline. Um, things that I used to be able to do in minutes were taking me longer and longer to, to do. Um, even at some point, um, I was one of the trainers of new hires coming in. And I found myself going to people I had trained, asking them on how to do certain parts of my job. Um, just because it got, it was confusing and I wasn't quite sure, am I doing this right? Like I said, it was 
could not make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it got to be very taxing and very draining on me. Um, and we knew something was wrong. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, you know, at that point, it was probably in my early 50s, um, we had already been seeing a neurologist and he was looking at different things. Um, but everybody has what we call an aha moment. Mm-hmm. And for us, our aha moment uh, really occurred at home. Like I said, I've been married almost going up 38 years now. And um, my wife and I were having a disagreement as married couples do from time to time. And, uh, but what made this one so different was I woke up the next morning getting the cold shoulder from her and not understanding why. And she, which kind of made her even a little more upset because she thought I was just blowing it off. But, you know, once she saw I was sincere and I looked at her and says, what are you talking about? Because I had no, could not recall the conversation at all. And she started telling me some of the things I had said to her, things I would never even dream of saying to her. Wow, yeah. And I, you know, became very emotional about it. And uh, it was at that moment that we knew something more was going on. Um, so we told our neurologist and he started looking a little bit more um, and you know, did a, another spinal tap. I had already had a spinal tap done before that. That led to MRIs, PET scans, uh, neuropsych exam. And it wasn't until all those things started coming back that showed probable Alzheimer's, you know, probable Alzheimer's. Um, so at the, when I was 52 years old, you know, he sat us down and said, here's what all the test results show. I'm pretty sure you have Alzheimer's, um, your early onset. Um, I'm gonna start you on this medication see you in six months and he walked out the door oh and, and that was it that's how we got our di- uh, how we got the diagnosis so, so on top of an already stressful situation you're sitting there and then you get this information that is life-changing and there's really not much support no i mean the doctor was great we had a great relationship with him we still do um he's a great guy but there's a lot to be said in how doctors are trained when they deliver certain information. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you compare that to a person today who might be given a diagnosis of cancer, which is a horrible disease, most people that I talk to that get that diagnosis are, are told about, well, here's a, a network you can plug into, here's someone you should call, here's a social worker, here's but since I've been diagnosed and I've talked to so many people that doesn't, that is not the norm when it comes to getting a diagnosis of dementia. Um, it's, it's, there's no referrals to the Alzheimer's association or DAA or uh, DAI. And I'll explain what those acronyms are later. Um, for anybody um, that I'm aware of, it's it's usually here's your diagnosis, here's a pill, see you in six months, wow. and, and they're out the door. 
Right. So you're left to your own devices to figure out what to do next. That's, that, that feels really overwhelming. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's, it's scary. I mean, we sat there and just, you know, felt like the, you know, the wind got taken out of our sails going, what the hell just happened? Right. Um, at the time, I was already out of work on short-term disability because, again, I was having a hard time doing my job. Mm-hmm. But I immediately looked at my wife and at the time um, and told her, I said, I want to go back to work. I want to work for as long as I can or at least try. Mm-hmm. And thank God I worked for a phenomenal manager and a great company who did make work accommodations for me. Wow. Um, that allowed me to try to go back, you know, to work, to work for as long as I could. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it was, it was fantastic. Um, it wasn't easy. I mean, because even at that time, um, I had given up driving. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that of my own choice. Um, so, you know, I was having to find rides back and forth to work. Right. And, um, Luckily, again, I have a great manager who's also a very good friend, and he was picking me up most days, or my wife would bring me in early, and she would come back and pick me up. Um, but there was I had great support early on when it came to that. Um, the thing was, though, is that it was taking me so much, it was taking so much out of me, just trying to get through the day at work, you know, that by the time I got home, I mean, there was nothing left in the tank. And all the things that I was doing that I mentioned earlier, being on a school committee and all that stopped. Mm. All my um, hobbies, I love photography, um, just, you know, getting out, going places, um, all that just stopped. And I went into a really deep depression, you know, for about five or six months. All I did was basically go to work, come home, you know, sleep, and that was just a repetitive cycle. You know, we stopped going pretty much out of the house, and uh, after about five or six months of that, you know, Cheryl said, enough is enough, you know, and she probably said it in a different way, but we'll just, you know, we'll we'll stick with that, and uh, thank God for her, um, but she started going on the internet, Google, you know, go on Google, mm-hmm looking for help and uh, luckily for us, she called uh, one of the people she contacted was our local Alzheimer's Association. And I lived in Massachusetts, a um, little biased, but I believe we have one of the best chapters in the country. <laughs> and, uh, but that led to a care consultation that led to um, getting involved in support groups mm-hmm. uh, where I got to meet peers uh, going through the same struggles I was going through that led to educational programs, um, that led to, they had this uh, pilot program they called Power and Purpose. It was like a, I don't know, five or six, eight week program, whatever it was, that I went through. And it was all pretty much geared to, uh, it, it pretty much reminded me that I could still do some of the things I could do before. Mm-hmm. It, remind, it reminded me that I can still learn new things. But what I tell folks is most importantly is that 
it reminded me is that I still have a voice and, and I plan on, you know, trying to use that for as long as I can. And I really credit that program and that time with them and really turning things around for me. I mean, I I look at that as a a pivotal moment. Um, I have a a lot of favorite movies and and one of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. Uh There's a line in that movie that Morgan Freeman repeats. He says, get busy living or get busy dying. And I've chosen to get busy living. And, you know, through that, going through all that, it's just, you know, reminded me that I can still do things. That's beautiful. That's amazing. I mean, to hear that type of support that kind of just rallied around you. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think that's a big realization, too, because um, you hit with a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. I think a lot of people still think that that just means your identity is kind of ripped away and to have, and I can see why in you telling that you mentioned your hobbies were, uh, you couldn't do your hobbies. You you had to consider whether or not you could still work. Um, Even at home, things were changing on you. So I can definitely see why, but um, so from the Alzheimer's association, where, because that led you into advocacy work, correct? Yeah, absolutely. That uh, they were instrumental in in getting me engaged and getting me involved. Um, I started going to Washington for the uh, National Alzheimer's Association forum meetings. Um, I've been there four years in a row now. Um, you. And that was really an eye-opener. I mean, you're standing in a room with a thousand people and you realize that, holy cannoli, I'm not alone, you know? And they're all there fighting for the same thing. Um, And you get to meet your congressmen and your senators and, you know, have a sit down with them, uh, tell them your story. And, you know, you're basically to ask for increased funding for, for, you know, research for NIH or any other important uh, bills that they're, trying to get passed to help um, caregivers and people living with a form of dementia. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the last four years, it's been pretty successful. I mean, not because, you know, I started showing up or anything like that, but uh, they, they've gone from uh, just under or just over $500 million a year in, you know, research to now they're just over $2.2 billion a year in money that's going to the NIH. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also real important bills that are coming out as well. Uh, One of them called Pachita for Palliative Care. Another one is called the Bold Act, which is really gonna change things for people living with uh, dementia. Um, But it really got me started um, you know, being engaged and being involved, at, even at the state level, my local level, uh, and at the national level in Washington. Um, and from there, it, it really kind of opened the doors to um, looking at, and look, you know, at other organizations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, I was on the national early stage advisory group for the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, it was like a one year thing, which was phenomenal. Got to meet some great people, really great friends, actually I consider family that I'm still in touch with today. Um, I was on my local chapters board of directors for three years wow. um, where I was able to voice, express my opinions about things, you know, for people living with dementia mm -hmm. um, and policy and things that I thought should change. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it led me, like I said, to getting out there to be able to meet other people and other organizations. And one of them, um, that have become well two of them but uh, very very uh, close to and with is uh, Dementia Action Alliance and that's the DAA I mentioned earlier okay. um, I'm actually on their uh, advisory board and their advisory board is made up of just people living with dementia wow yeah it's amazing um, I think there's eight or not eight or ten of us and I've just recently, in the last couple of months, uh, was asked um, and appointed to their board of directors as well. Mm -hmm. There's two or three of us, um, people living with dementia who are on their board of directors. Wow, how so, empowering. Very empowering. Um, yeah. And then I've just uh, recently been um, elected and appointed to the board of directors for another organization called Dementia Alliance International, mm -hmm. which is an amazing group of people um, that obviously do things on the international level. Right. Um, you know, really get involved with like the World Health Organization and things like that. So you're busy. <laughs> well, I'm not the one speaking of the World <laughs> Health Organization. That's, that's Kate Swaffer. She's an amazing person. But yeah, but I am busy. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm definitely busy. That's incredible. Um, so it, you were originally diagnosed with early onset. Um, mm -hmm. in, in, in our conversation, that changed, correct? You were later um, re-diagnosed? Yeah, thank, thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs> um, about two years into my diagnosis, um, other symptoms, that things were other things were going on we just you know didn't put anything together or even really told our doctors about it mm -hmm. um, but other things were happening um, one of them was as most people with dementia uh, that have a form of dementia sleep is just horrible um, but what would made it different was that I was having these really vivid vivid uh, dreams Really, and I was not every night, but on a lot of occasions, I was I would actually act out these dreams. Wow! So I would, and they were all confrontational. It's like somebody's chasing me, or I'm chasing somebody else, or I'm in a fight, or whatever. So I'm punching, kicking, screaming. I mean, my poor wife's been oh, and right. I've fallen out of bed, knocked over my nightstand. I mean, it's just been crazy. Yeah. Well, unbeknownst to us, that's. The, um, that's actually a disorder they call uh, REM sleep behavior disorder. Um, and they actually sent me to a sleep study in Boston and they confirmed, you know, that that was correct. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been having, had started having uh, muscle issues, cramps, stiffness in my legs, my arms, um, 
muscle, tw you know, twitch, a, a slight tremor, but not like a real tremor. Um, and they diagnosed me with the Parkinsonian symptoms. I don't have Parkinson's, mm -hmm. but there's a certain number of other criteria um, that you have to fall into uh, where at the time they decided to change my diagnosis to Lewy body dementia mm -hmm. uh, because of the, another hallmark of that is hallucinations where most people who have Alzheimer's do have hallucinations, but they're usually later on or they're not as prevalent mm -hmm. or I could have them every day. Wow. Um, even at this stage mm -hmm. and they're not the thing that I try to tell people is hallucinations are not just visual. They're audit, auditory. I hear conversations going on. Wow. Smell. Um, a lot of times I smell smoke like fire. Um, other types of smells. It can even be taste. It's, it's sensory. It can be touch. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of things that people don't, aren't aware of that, you know, don't even think about. Right. Um, just like, like you, was, you mentioned a little while ago about um, some of the misperceptions of, of Alzheimer's, what people think about. We were, I was the same way. I was in that same boat when he first told us about that. Mm -hmm. We were like, that's an old person's disease. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I'm 52. Right. Um, but you learn rather quickly, you know, what the stigmas are that are associated with this disease. And it's not just about memory. It's not just old people. It's not a normal part of aging. I was so happy to hear you say that. Um, it's it is a lot involved with dementia because it affects so many different parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you answered my next question um, because I, I was wondering in your experience so far, um, what is the greatest misconception about? Um, uh, well, Alzheimer's, but then also dementia or other forms of dementia. Uh, and I think you're right. Um, it's not very, there's not a lot of roots in people's knowledge of what these types of diagnosis are. Um, and they, it, it's a memory loss thing. It's an old age. Um, those, that's what I have found too. Yeah. And, and it's sad because especially for, you know, older generations, you know, it's the numbers are scary for, you know, people in you know, like, I think at the age of 85, one out of every three people mm -hmm. will have a form of uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm -hmm. And the thing that saddens me about that is that people just think of, of that as, oh, that's just normal aging. Right. And that's just so unfair to that person. Yeah. You know, that's not true. You know, that's a disease, you know, that's robbing them of whatever extra time that they may have had, mm -hmm. at, you know, with the quality of life. And um, it's, it's just, I mean, it's education, but, um, and people need to be made aware of it. But thank God people like you are doing things like this that are hopefully changing yeah. cool. um, You're doing the brunt of the work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is the awareness that you're bringing and, and the openness of telling your story is 
what I am most fortunate about that you are, are, are out there and are telling your story because so often I have found um, that individuals living with dementia are thought to not be able to communicate. Um, but just because their communication is a little different, that doesn't mean that they're gone. They're still there. And I think it's so important that people know that you can be empowered after a diagnosis. You can use your voice after a diagnosis and you don't have to have people speak for you um, to do that. And it's, it's really important, <laughs> you know, um, but, and that's what you're doing. And it sounds like your journey post diagnosis has been one of support and encouragement and empowerment um, and autonomy right a lot of this you're you're doing on your own or at least telling your story i'm jumping up and down on my chair right now um, <laughs> because hearing you say that about um people you know still having a voice and even though they can't communicate the way they used to be able to they're still inside you know they're still there they're still inside mm -hmm. they're just looking for different ways to try to communicate. And I was having this conversation with someone recently about that. And the thing you have to think about is with people who are given this diagnosis, um, we're learning to adapt every day to different challenges and things, you know, things that we couldn't do in the same way before. We're trying to find different ways of, of doing them. So we're learning, we're trying to learn to adapt to do that. That doesn't stop, in my opinion. That does not stop when the person loses the ability to speak. They're still learning to figure out ways to communicate mm -hmm. with people. It could be through eye gestures. It could be through hand gestures. It could be through anything. Mm -hmm. And it's up to the person who's caring for them to be, I, I call inspector gadgets, <laughs> yeah. to figure it out. Right. Okay. Because they still deserve the same dignity and respect mm -hmm. that they would have had, you know, before the diagnosis was even given to them. Exactly. So it, it could be a, something as simple as a squeeze of the hand or you know, the blink of an eye or anything. I mean, I, I tell folks that, and I, and I'm shame on me because I haven't done it yet, but one of the things I want to do is I want to make a, a, a video of myself and it's not a, not a documentary, but it's, it's a video to show people me. Here's Mike. Here's who I am. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of personality I have. Here's my likes. Here's my dislikes. And whatever facility I may have to go into, it's going to be mandatory for every single person who takes care of me to have to watch that video. Because I want them to know that if the person that might be giving them a hard time that day is not me. Right. It's the disease. And by the disease, I'm, I'm, 
talking even to the point of I could be just really frustrated at something right. that, but I can't communicate that to you as to what it is that's bothering me. Right. It could be a squeaky door, mm-hmm. right? It could be a loud PA system. It could be, I don't like the socks I'm wearing, right. but it's up to you as inspector gadget to figure out what it is that's, that's causing that and to hopefully between the two of us, we can, you know, you can, you can help alleviate that problem. That is so true. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I was so excited to hear you say that they're still inside because I truly believe they are. Yeah. Um, I lost a very dear friend of mine earlier this year. And um, listening, uh, when his wife was telling me, you know, she was singing their song to him. And he still had a smile on his face. Oh. I mean, yeah. how does they're still there? Yeah. They're still there. True. And a lot of um, my background is in activities, so in activities you're kind of forced to find holistic, I'll call them, interventions mm-hmm. um, for individuals. And it does, I think you're right, it takes that time and investigation and knowing, but it is amazing the effect that activities like music therapy can have for individuals. Because I think you're engaging them in a way that's normal. That's not, um, it's not a treatment plan, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So when you get a diagnosis, you get a medical treatment plan. But Mm -hmm. with this, I think the treatment plan really should be more um, human-based, more intervention-based, more um, activity-based, because I think that validates that person that's still there trying to communicate with you, um, because that is what they recognize and are familiar with. Um, So, I mean, I tell folks um, a lot that, um, dementia is a disease, not a personality trait. Mm-hmm. Okay, because a person may be giving you a hard time that day, it, as hard as it may be, don't take it personal like it's a personal attack on you. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, it's either you know a combination of the disease and or frustration that they can't communicate something effectively to you. Right. So, you know, have the compassion. You know, because the the opposite of that is you hear the horror stories of, you know, people being put in restraints, you know, thrown on these antipsychotics just to shut them up, right. keep them quiet. And because it's easier for the staff to get through their schedule and get through their day because that's what they have to do. Exactly. That's the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. Thank God that's not happening as often in, in most places as it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different approaches that are being used um, nowadays that are proven to be effective mm-hmm. um, that eliminate those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, it gives the person back their identity, it gives them back their respect. And I love that you said normal mm-hmm. because treat me normal. Right. You know, you know just treat me normal. Um, 
treat me like you would treat any other living adult that may not, you know, have a neurodegenerative disease. Right. Yeah. So. Um, can I ask, because in this, and, and you've mentioned the caregiver and the caregiver and um, individual relationship. Um, and you've also mentioned what a great support your wife was, Cheryl, throughout this process. Uh, and I think my question really came when you said that you're learning new ways to do things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of happens at the same time for the caregiver. Mm -hmm. um, so what was your experience in trying to balance that? And, and I know Cheryl's not here and she, you can't really speak for her, but just in, in your perception of that relationship. That's a great question, and, and thanks for bringing it up, because for me, I mean, the unsung heroes are obviously the caregivers, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't call them caregivers. I don't call Cheryl a caregiver. I call her a life giver, and the reason I say that is because as a person living with this disease, we're losing a piece of ourselves every day in small increments losing a piece of my identity, a sense of who we are, who we were. But as if you're fortunate, like I am, um, to have someone that, like my wife, that, you know, loves me and still is here, is, is my life giver. She's losing a piece of herself every day too. Because mm -hmm. she, she has to stand there and watch this happen to me. And at the same time, she's making sacrifices herself of doing whatever it is she has to do to care for me. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, I'm not in the moderate to, you know, later on portions of this disease, but it still happens even in the early stages. Right. And, and, and a good example of, you know, how do you, how do you do that? Someone explained it to me before is, um, beautifully, and I love the analogy, is it's a dance. Mm -hmm you're learning to dance together all over again. Right. And uh, one of the ways that we learned to do that was, and I'll give you a quick example. Um, I mentioned I work for Bryce. I'm a techie. I'm just a tech nut. Um, I've been that way pretty much for as long as I can remember. And um, I had just bought a new uh, Mac computer came with the wireless keyboard and mouse but this one the keyboard has the battery built in that needs to be plugged in to charge mm -hmm. well it didn't come with the cable so we go to an electronic store i won't mention the name and um, i need to go buy this cable so cheryl said do you need help and i'm like i'm a tech i can i can do this i go to the counter and i'm trying to explain to the girl what it is i need and she keeps telling me, you need a charger. And I'm like, no, I need a cable. Right. Now, it got to the point where I even told the girl, I said, I have dementia. I have a hard time explaining exactly what it is, you know, getting it across to you. I says, but this is what I need. I need this. I just need a cable that plugs my keyboard in. So she finally got a manager. The manager comes out. I tried to explain it to him. He says, why don't we go to a computer and you can show me? Duh. 
right? Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Go to the computer, show them what I need, you know, what I'm talking about, which computer I bought. He goes, here's the cable you need. Oh. I go back to the counter, give it to the girl, and it was a charging cable. So she said, see, I told you so. Oh. Well, part of <laughs> this disease, especially with Lewy body, is I can go from zero to 60 <laughs> like that, okay? Anger, frustration, you know, okay? And uh, it took every ounce of me not to go, what I call, don't make Louie come out. Okay? <laughs> you don't want to see Louie. <laughs> okay. And I went back to the car, and Cheryl immediately knew that I was upset and I was frustrated. And uh, I explained to her everything that happened. And she said, you know, she said, you know, it was hard for me to decide whether or not to go in with you. Mm. And a light bulb went off in my head. And because and, it never had occurred to me before how hard it is for her to decide when to intercede right. with me and to let me to continue to try to do things, even though seeing that I'm getting frustrated and angry. And right. when does she stop? When does she step in? So we had this great conversation about it. And ultimately what we came up with is that she, we're going to continue to let me to try to do things as long as I'm not hurting anybody in the process and hurting either myself or someone else. Mm -hmm. And by hurting, I mean physically or verbally. Right. Okay. Cause it, Louie can come out. Um, as long as that's not happening, she's going to continue to let me try to do things. And it's, it's been a dance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes she has to say, hey, Mike, you know, we need to slow down, you know, and right. she's phenomenal at redirecting me. You know, she can see where she reads me like nobody's business. <laughs> I mean, she, she can tell just by looking at my eyes, you know, she's like, she'll just stop me in my tracks almost and redirect me and, you know, talk to me about something different or talk to me about something coming up. You know, to just try to de-escalate me to, you know, change my mind of, you know, instead of going zero to 60, you know. Yeah. So it's it's been a dance. And I tell people, there's no book on this. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, there's tons of book written about people's journeys, living with dementia, caregivers, life givers journeys. But it's it's so individual for every single couple and for every single person, right? That it's it's really a you know learn as you go mm -hmm. kind of thing, and you're gonna make mistakes, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully, you both learn from them, and you know, and you continue the journey. Yeah, how incredible! I mean, mm -hmm. she just sounds so wonderful, and I, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, she really is. She's, I'm, I'm, I tell people I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world, seriously. Oh. I mean, because of her, and I mean, I live in Massachusetts. I'm an hour away from the best hospitals, mm -hmm. some of the best hospitals in the country. I, like I said, I, you know, an hour away from the best, you know, Alzheimer's Association chapter in the country, even though I don't have Alzheimer's. Right. Um, 
I'm still engaged. I'm still involved with them. Right. Um, I still do speaking engagements, mm -hmm. you know, with them. Um, I still do public policy advocacy, right. you know, at the state level. Um, matter of fact, it was, I was lucky enough to um, have testified on a, a bill twice that just got passed in Massachusetts this year that's really going to be a game changer for dementia care and training and support for people living with dementia in the state. Really? It's the first of its kind in the country. Ooh. And um, just to highlight a couple of things, yeah. now, one of the things it's going to do is it's going to require every doctor, no matter their specialty, every doctor, every nurse, every CNA, every uh, nurse practitioner, um, to have dementia training, wow. certified dementia training every single year. It's going to require every hospital in the state within three years to have a dementia action plan in place. Yeah. Um, it, it strengthens the already elder abuse laws in the state, but it, it strengthens and enhances them even more for people living with the dementia in mm -hmm. the state. It, it formed a permanent advisory council that will report directly to the governor. Wow. And I mean, there's a lot of other things involved with it. It's really powerful and it's, it's going to be a game changer. That's incredible. Yeah. Especially the hospital part. I love that. Yeah. I mean, uh, the medical field does need the training, but hospitals have, mm -hmm. they're not as regulated as, um, you know, long-term care is and mm -hmm. they, the way that in which that they handle um, dementia symptoms and, and behaviors is, can be very different than what, you know, the medical professions are allowed and able to do in long-term care. So that's incredible. It is, it's really powerful, yeah. really powerful. Wow. It was a collaboration. I mean, there was a lot of people who have been working on this thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and fortunately, our um, state legislature, because we were like fighting for one part of it, and other groups were helping, trying to get different parts of it. And they had to foresight to look into this and say, you know what, why don't we just combine the whole thing together? Right. And they created an omnibus bill. Wow. And it passed through the legislature at 100%. Zero negative votes went through the Senate with a hundred percent zero negative votes, and the governor signed it into law um, just a couple of months ago. Wow! So, really? I mean, I mean, talk about bipartisan support. Exactly. Sorry, my across cat. The board, across the board. Across the you gonna cat? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was excited too, uh, but it really sh uh, that what a change in climate. Yeah, exactly. How can you not help but get excited about that? Right. You know, and we've actually gotten calls from other states, you know, saying, please send us the information. How did you do this? We want to duplicate it Yeah. in, in our state. It, yeah, because I, I think a lot in, in public policy, too, you need somebody, a political figure that has experienced yes. um, this type of um you know, maybe they've known somebody, maybe uh, it's a grandparent, and, and they have a personal um, 
affliction towards Alzheimer's disease and, and or dementia. Um, but to have a hundred percent, yeah, you know, that's incredible. It is. So it really is. Um, so you've offered so much, um, today you really have and and i appreciate you taking the time to share your story um what piece of advice could you leave us with that um for for those that are newly diagnosed um, Mm -hmm. as well that that may be feeling a little overwhelmed um to say the least and scared and um don't know kind of which way to turn um that's a great question. And I think one of the most important things anybody who's recently been diagnosed can do is to find a support group. And it doesn't have to be physical support group. There's online virtual support groups as well. Right. Um, there's a really nice gentleman out of Florida. His name's uh, Gary LeBlanc. I interviewed him. Yeah. 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 Um, wonderful. Mm-hmm. He, he was part of another gentleman, actually, Harry Irvin, and him combined, uh, started Dementia Mentors, and then started the virtual online support groups. Mm-hmm. Gary pretty much runs the whole thing now. Um, but it's real easy to get online. Um, and what I can do is, if you don't, you already have it, if you spoke to Gary, it'd be great to put it on the, you know, okay. so people can plug into that. Um, because it's the first time I went to a support group is what really made me feel like I wasn't alone. Hearing other people talk about going through the same struggles that I was going through. I really looked at it and I said, holy cows, I'm not going crazy. This is just me. You know, especially, you know, I expected to walk into a room of senior citizens and I think the oldest person that was in that room was like 61 years old. Right. There were two gentlemen in their 40s, in wow. their late 40s. Um, so it, you really develop a bond with, with, with these folks. And mm-hmm. like I said, they're family. I mean, they're my brothers and sisters now. They truly, truly are. But it's you desperately, desperately need to talk to somebody about it, mm-hmm. who understands what you're going through, who gets it, and can help you along this journey. Right. The second thing that I didn't even really touch on, and I'll try to keep this part short, is we, we talked about the doctors earlier mm-hmm. about how you get a diagnosis. I personally think that the number one Prescription doctors should be giving people with dementia social engagement. Mm. And that's to stay engaged, to stay involved, doing something. I don't care what it is, doing something. The first thing I did when I retired uh, from work, luckily I lived five minutes away from my senior center. I walked into into the center and I said, who do you have helping your folks with your computer problems? I said, nobody. I volunteered. We started a group. They call us Mike Google Gals. <laughs> and it was awesome. I have a number of adopted grandparents. But every Thursday, we sat around the table. Now, again, I can't multitask, mm-hmm. right? And I can't do things as fast as I used to be able to. 
but I can still do things. Right. And we would sit around a table and I would help one person at a time. And it could have been something as simple as showing them how to use their iPhone. Mm -hmm. It could have been how to set up their email, how to use Facebook. They had a virus on their computer. It could have been anything. One of the things I'll hopefully never forget um, was this one lovely lady who I helped. I helped set up her email, and I helped set her up with Skype. She heard, oh, one of her daughters is a nurse in Australia. She hadn't seen her in like three or five years. Talked to her on the phone, but hadn't seen her. Mm -hmm. So we set her up with Skype. And she actually got to Skype with her daughter and see her for the first time. Wow. And I mean, there were tears coming down. I mean, there were tears coming around everybody's face. It was just, it was very emotional. Yeah. But, I mean, you you get back more than what you give. Mm -hmm. But it still gives you a sense of of identity, a sense of purpose. Right. A sense of, I'm still doing something. I'm still helping people. It, it could be join a gardening club. I don't care what it is. Do something. Um, because I honestly truly believe that staying as engaged as I am um, with whether it's doing public policy work, whether it's being asked to go out and do a speaking engagement someplace, um, whether it's the work that I'm doing with Dementia Action Alliance and Dementia Alliance International is helping me it's keeping me where I am mm-hmm. at this point in the disease. Right. I honestly believe that. I mean, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a researcher, but I really believe it's um, the disease is not progressing as fast as it could be right. because I'm staying involved and I'm staying engaged and I'm doing something. Exactly. And that's, that's incredibly important mm-hmm. for anybody. No, definitely. I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. Um, and I'm glad you shared that because people need to hear it too. It's easy to want to not do anything. It's easy to want it to kind of, um, to let it become your identity because everybody's telling you that's what it is. And, you know, so to kind of push past that and say, well, no, I'm going to do something. <laughs> Shoot, I'm bored. <laughs> you know, let's, let's go do exactly. something. Exactly. All right. It's, I mean, I've heard the way other people explain it beautifully is this disease does not define me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't define who I am. It's not the person I am. Right. I just happen to have this disease. Right. And, you know, I, I don't. I'm not trying to Pollyanna everything, you know, and sugarcoat that, oh, everything's great. Because trust me, we have some really rough struggles, some bad days. But like I said, it's get busy living or get busy dying. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a choice. I mean, and that doesn't just, not just for people with this disease, that could be anything. So you could choose to sit there and wallow and stare at the same four walls every day and believe all the stigma and everything that people throw at you that you see on TV and, you know, woe is me. Or you can choose to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And we need more voices 
out there. We need more people who are living with this, this disease to get out there and speak and talk. Yeah. Um, I love to tell folks, this is not your grandfather's Alzheimer's. Yeah. And I don't mean any disrespect to my, you know, previous generations. But what I mean when I say that is it needs to be 20, 10, 20, 30 years ago, this was talked in the back rooms. Mm -hmm. It wasn't talked outside of the family. You didn't tell anybody about it. It wasn't discussed. It was hush, hush. Yeah. We're hopefully this generation and other people are going to change that so that it becomes everyday conversation. People need to stop talking about this to hopefully strip away the stigmas that are associated with, you know, with this disease. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and the, you're paving the way. Well, I'm, I, I'm flattered you say that, but trust me when I tell you I'm not alone. No, no. There's, there's a number of really, you know, passionate people out there who are, who are out there speaking, doing the same exact thing. No. But I appreciate um, that. No, it's, I, and I appreciate you sharing because I, I completely agree. I think it's, it's a different time and it, it really is time to speak up. So, totally. and, and to have that support and, um, around you to allow that to happen as well. Um, and that, I think that's going to come with all of the policy changes and, and things that you mentioned previously too. Exactly. Mike, this was an incredible conversation. I, I really, I've said thank you a hundred times, but I really do mean thank you. This, I, and I hope to have you back because uh, I'd love to. Sure, yeah. absolutely. I, we check in with you and see if that bill passed. <laughs> well, it, it already passed. It's it already signed into law. But, uh, but you're right. As far as it's one thing to get it passed, now we got to get it implemented. Yeah, and make sure it's does what it's supposed to do right so right. yeah wonderful well thank you so much you're welcome thank you for having me i'm thrilled